Thanks, Jason. Um, it's so nice to be among Mennonites. Um, and Jason, your little two minutes as you introduced us, I was like, oh, he's taken my thunder. He said, like you succinctly did Mennoniteism in that short time. So I'm going to do it a little bit, take a little more time to do it, and hopefully do it equally as well. Um, so some of you may have already heard parts of my story. Um, I know when I joined the church, I talked a little about my history, but I'm gonna do a real quick run through of um, my experience with Mennoniteism and Anabaptism. Anabaptist. Anyway, I grew up in a small town and in that town church was a social definer. Everyone knew not only who went to which churches, but also which churches the important people in town went to. Um, church was clout, it was status, it was a way to show your per personal virtue, but it didn't really um, affect people's personal habits or the way they treated each other. I ended up joining a small little group of people who were actually social outsiders in town, but who had become Jesus freaks, as was a common phrase in the, in the 70s. So we studied the Bible, but we really didn't do much else. We just had to like claim we were saved and that was enough to, to make it work for, for the Jesus Freak movement. This was in the 70s. A lot of churches were showing uh, a movie about being left behind, a very sort of scare tactic Christianity that you had to be saved or you might end up being left behind in the rapture. And in the, in the film, the rapture happens and everybody's wandering around being like, oh, I should have been a Christian, now I'm down here on earth. Um, so that for me, that to me was Christianity. It was like scare and status. At the same time, I was one of about five young people, five girls um, in my town who were part of Girl Scouts. So we went to a neighboring town um, for the Girl Scout troop because there wasn't one in our town. And that's where I learned and embraced service taking care of others, taking care of the environment, being kind, being part of a community, and many other values that I carry with me to, today. And so during this time, my Christianity and my way of being in the world were sort of separate. Christianity was this thing that I was, but didn't really affect me. And Girl Scouts and other activities were where I felt like my being was. And this continued to co in college and beyond. And then in my mid-20s, I discovered the Mennonites. And I was like, oh, wow, finally a place where these two streams of my life can come together. Um, so I became a Mennonite. And I quickly became very adept at succinctly saying what a Mennonite was. I remember once I was road tripping with a friend of mine and we were in Alabama. And as, this was in the late 80s. And as we were packing up our car, this gentleman came up to us and was immediately trying to determine if we were okay people or if we were outsiders that he needed to somehow ostracize and deal with. And so he asked us what religion we were. Now, my friend was an agnostic whose parents were Jewish. And so she just kind of had this look on her face and she looked to me like pleading for help. And I said, oh, I'm a Mennonite. And her face just immediately fell. Like, why did you say that? And he, of course, looked at me 
and I had to quickly explain, no, no, I wasn't a Mormon. I was a Christian. And I started through, um, you know, we believe Jesus' life is an example to be followed. We don't participate in violence. We believe people should live in community. We're a priesthood of believers where there's not just one person who has authority. Of course, by this time, he had glazed over. Um, he had made it clear earlier that he um, that he had a gun and he was he was a little scary. Um, my friend later was like, why didn't you just say you were a Christian and be done with it? And I was like, I can't. I don't. Like at the time, I didn't want to be associated with the Christianity um, that was the Christianity that I grew up with. And so I always introduced myself as a Mennonite, which meant again that I was explaining Mennonitism to people. Um, I was doing elevator pitches before elevator pitches were a thing that people talked about. Um, and for me, it then always helped me be really clear what it was and why it was that I believed I was a Mennonite. I often would tell people separation of church and state. Um, God cares completely for people and equally, no matter what country they're born in, no matter what their beliefs are. I would always make a point of saying Jesus was a radical. He was... Um, you know, killed because he went against complacency in the status quo. Um, usually talked about the being against militarism, authoritarianism. Um, I really didn't want to be seen as a mainstream Christian. I wanted to people to know that what I believe made a difference in who I was. And it ended up sort of almost in an embarrassing way, I became um, like a known Mennonite. When I worked with a Catholic worker, I was always called Mennonite Nancy to distinguish me from the other Nancys. There was Mary House Nancy, there was um, this other, there was an artist that was Nancy, and then there was Mennonite Nancy. At the time, my friends used to call me the Mennonite. I remember when we started rowing, it would be like the Mennonite and everybody would look, all the other people would look around um, so it's like, I, in some ways was kind of proud to be known as a Mennonite, but also realized that in some ways that was antitheme to what a Mennonite was to be humble and not, um, not stand out in the, in the crowd. Um, these beliefs of mine led me to a life of social service in a world of hurt. I ended up working in a lot of um, social work type jobs. It led me to live simply, to share my life and belongings with others. Um, in the 90s, I was doing tax resistance, working with Central American Solidarity Work, having a low salary and living cheaply, which led me to live in Central Harlem in the middle of the crack epidemic, work in the South Bronx, um, during that same time doing home visits and eventually to being a live-in staff person um, in a foster care agency on the Upper East Side, which was an interesting juxtaposition as well to be in the wealthy Upper East Side, but living a simple life. Um, it also has led me to have 
roommates most of my life and to really um, try to espouse not necessarily always in the right way, yeah, not always ex succeeding, but to try to espouse that belief that we are a priesthood of believers, that each of us has our own understanding of what Jesus calls us to be, that um, the way of peace is important, that being there for other people, being part of a community is also a big part of how I um, see my, my Christian life. So the kind of like meme of what would Jesus do is not just a meme, but it's um, a tenet that sort of underlays uh, my life. Unmaterialistic, un nonviolent, serving and connected to others. And I'm grateful that I found the Anabaptist, um, that I can believe and be part of a group that believes that not all good people are Christian and also not all Christians are good people, that you just don't espouse Christianity and suddenly then you are the, the end all of everything. Um, it has led me to believe that Micah 6.8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So that's my nutshell of Anabaptism, and now I pass to Ninjio. All right, okay, so thank you, my dear sister Nancy, for that beautiful uh, testimony. Uh, so I grew up in a Mennonite church in the city of Kudus in Indonesia, uh, the first church in the Muria Conference. So let me put uh, the words uh, on chat. My church and the town that I grew up in. Two years ago, I was asked to tell the story about how I came to be an Anabaptist. And I told that my late parents did not want to transfer their membership. And I asked them, why you stayed in the Mennonite? Why don't you um, transfer your membership to another Mennonite church in the same town because there were many or some Mennonite churches in uh, town. And they said that our church had the best preacher in town. So they didn't want to move to another church uh, to transfer their membership. Uh, and yes, his preaching style was biblical and expository, a charismatic leader and storyteller. And he, he was a good rhetorician. So he speak fluently and eloquently. But let me now uh, touch on a different angle, two different angles of how I became a Mennonite. First, the story about trauma of division and a church split. And secondly, about uh, the story of gender and leadership in my church. 
So although I am a Javanese by ethnicity, I grew up in a predominantly Chinese congregation, a congregation that happened to be Mennonite because its founder, a Chinese businessman convert, was baptized by Dutch and Russian missionaries, um, Mennonite missionaries, in 1920. So the baptism took place on the 6th of December, 1920. And since then, the date was celebrated as the foundation of the Muria Church. And so my church just celebrated its centennial birthday in December last year, uh, 100 year. So growing up in this church, I saw the struggles and traumas in many Chinese Christians. On the 6th of February, 1980, the day I was born, uh, there were lootings and burnings of the Chinese stores in the nearby public market. Chinese people had been discriminated against for years by the Japanese uh, majority, my tribe. The Chinese, however, due to their persistence in doing business, came up to be the people of decent living. And because of this, our Muria Church of Kudus was, and probably still is, the largest Protestant church in town with assets such as schools from pre-K to high school and a good hospital. Having big assets like these was also part of the problem for our local church. From 1974 to 1984, our church split. I was born during the time in which our church faced this problem of division. Heated debates around who owned the hospital had taken place since the late 1960s, and its climax took place with the church split in 1974. Living in a small town in the same area, in the, uh, the, the same land areas with Queens and Kings or Brooklyn counties taken together, the church split has brought about deep traumas in the lives of our church members. But the beautiful side of the story is this. In 1984, the split church returned to our conference. It was not uh, a returning to our local congregation because of the deep wounds brought about by the division. But the story of this return has marked a memory of the beauty of being Christians and the beauty of being Mennonite in a predominantly Muslim town. So in my recollection, this was the first event of reconciliation of the splitting congregations in my region, but also in Indonesia probably. 
So as I came across this story during high school, I was deeply encouraged to be a Mennonite. Reconciliation among God's people is possible. Now, I came to my second point, the story about gender and leadership. In the late 1990s, when I was a teenager, a debate about whether women could be ordained took place. To this period, older generations of pastors did not agree that women could be ordained. I also remember the spouse of a senior pastor of one of the largest Muria churches wrote in, a con in our conference magazine, emphasizing that women were created as helpers, not as leaders. And as helpers, women should not seek ordination. Younger generations, however, especially those who graduated from ecumenical schools in Indonesia and Singapore, challenged this understanding. They wrote essays in the same magazine pointing out that women and men were created equal and as such, women could receive ordination from the church. This, they believed, would be a witness to our Anabaptist faith. And so women could be ordained as ministers of the word and sacraments in our conference, receiving equal rights and privileges to their male colleagues. And now the question is, why is it important to me? As a teenager, I did not see this kind of theological exchange happened in other ecumenical churches. Although the debates were tough, I also knew that older generations were willing to learn from younger generations. But I also saw that younger generations of the Muria Conference were very intelligent in articulating their ideas. But what drew me the most was that these younger generations fought for gender justice and equality. And what is interesting that on this Sunday, uh, the 24th of January, the second ordained female pastor of the Muria Church has come to, its to her retirement. So she was just retired this morning. Indeed, the Indonesian Anabaptist communities still have to work many works with regard to gender justice, especially to those of the LGBTIQ plus and queer people, especially where it is hard for them to raise their money, uh, their, their voice in public and church. But this, I know, will not be an easy task because pastors, uh, even in the Muria church, have different opinions and different theological outlooks. But I pray that God would help us and may it be so. Now I will pass the time to my dear sister Chuchin. Hi, hello everyone. Um, I first I became Mennonite 
because Mennonite church is um, in close to my my parents' house. So I grew up in that neighborhood and then saw see the church there. So I wasn't really understand um, what what is Mennonite or Anabaptist, but just because it's closer, so I don't I don't walk too far to go to church. Um, but when I grow older in university, I learn more about what is Mennonite and then also the idea of peace and justice and what people have practiced in the history um, in order to follow, to, to sustain, to um, um, sustain this value uh, in this idea in, in, in Mennonite. So I, I feel really like um, admire those people who walk in front of me um, and then and then really want to follow them and then um, they become my role model so that is the reason I, I stay till now after 30 more than 30 years I still say introduce myself as a Mennonite so I think being a and a Baptist for me is is the, like a, a continuous um, experience or re re um, re experience of love, and then this love is this kind of love is um, challenge me to live in a very unstable stage, uh, and then not be afraid. Um, so being a Anabaptist is always empty myself um, in in anything I like when it's needed. When the environment is moving faster than I do, then I stop and then empty myself and then refocus and find my anchor. So I think that is the most important meaning for me. Um, I also have like two images about um, being a Anabaptist or and being an Anabaptist Christian. One one image is I shared before, like when I was in Lesbo, um, working with refugee from Middle East. So um, there was a cross that was lifted on the island by the beach. But the purpose of the cross is to scare people away, to tell people you are not welcome here. You are, um, but then a lot of refugees, they cross the sea and then landed by the beach. They, they totally couldn't get the idea. So it's a, a cross that's supposed to scare people away to tell people you are not welcome but in fact the message doesn't cross over to to the refugees um so but but this this image of cross also made me think about like how we there is no original there is no first there is no chosen there's no who are right um at any time any moment um yeah so that 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 
I think that cross is so important to me when I think about um, there is no original, there is no the first. I think that also resonates to the Anabaptist belief. Um, I think the second image I have is the door at the Catholic worker house. The first year, like I feel like really anxious every time when I open the door. And then I was confused, like I am guarding the door or I am opening the door. So it's always a struggle every time when I answer the door, I didn't know who is outside, who, uh, what will be the uh, interaction. I cannot predict anything. Um, when, when I, like, when I open the door, I will not see I cannot see the I cannot see people's face before I open make the decision to open the door. So like it was it was like I feel confused. Like I'm guarding the door or I'm opening the door all the time. Um, but but I think like they were the moment I really regret I opened the door. <laughs> I feel I should guard the door. I really regret I opened the door. And then there were times that I didn't respond well. I didn't treat people nice. But people always come back to give me the second chance. So this, this the door image and then the second chance also remind me like how um, like Anabaptist like is allowing you ourselves to connect so deeply and interact deeply with the environment and um, empathy and then refresh um, and then um, always new opportunity, um, new, new life, new, new change. So that is my story. Thank you so much. <laughs>